Custom Ink is an awesome way to recognize employees, thank customers, and outfit your teams with their favorite products and brands customized with your logo. CustomInc.com lets you make your mark on water bottles, backpacks, polos, jackets, and a ton more. Custom Ink is your go-to custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. Oh yeah, and everything is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check out what we can do for your business at CustomInc.com. This is a bonus episode. But guess what? The other scheduled episode will drop in a couple of days' time. Okay, technically that means that that will be the bonus episode, but either way, it will be two episodes in a short space of time. This one is going to be a bit different in that you probably won't know the guests, and if you do, lucky you. If you like this episode, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and please do leave a lovely review. Hello, I'm Gerard Farrelly, and you are very welcome to a bonus episode of Fascinated. Now, everything was on course as normal for today's episode. On Monday, I started to pull it together, and for reasons that will appear obvious when that episode actually drops, I was looking through some old audio recordings that I'd made back in 2015. Now, back then, I spoke to three people around the time of the marriage referendum. Darren, who was a Yes campaigner in Clare and Galway. Gordon, who was unable to make it home himself for the referendum, but who canvassed on social media from Qatar. And John, who I spoke to the morning after the results. He works in comms for a large multinational. Now, I had planned to make this into a bonus episode about two seasons ago, but to be really honest, I just didn't want to start thinking about it again, because while the outcome of the marriage referendum was incredible, the preceding few months were pretty awful. But to forget about the hardship is to gloss over all of the hard work. So I decided instead to move out the scheduled episode and to put together a bonus episode. This isn't a documentary, it's just some clips that I'm stringing together exactly two years after that day that we all got to cast our vote. The marriage referendum was one of the most monumental victories ever for gay rights. Ireland was the first country to give gay people marriage rights through a popular vote. We voted in favour of the 34th Amendment to the Constitution of Ireland to add the words marriage may be contracted in accordance with law by two persons without distinction as to their sex. Thousands of expats flooded Irish airports and the Home to Vote campaign melted hearts across the world. Voters of all ages were reminded of their power to make massive change and there was a new appreciation of the political system and life for gay people in Ireland was changed forever. Well, I, I think it, it is over and it's almost, it must be like, it's almost like childbirth where you don't, you don't really think of the bad times. I actually look back at the campaign with an overwhelming positive view. It kind of hit home to me that the outcome had an, a profound effect on my life, whether it was going to be a yes or no. I got so many messages, you know, from like congratulating me and then like they're just going to know greater was and they're all, you know, asking like, you know, are they going to come to my wedding and So, you know, that was something I never, ever anticipated, you know. But it was a battle that was hard won. Like, I remember this woman, like, she was talking to uh, Niall O'Toole, he was a really great guy, but he he set up Yes Equality Galway. Well, he was one of the the founders and he ran it, but uh, she was just going on to him about, like, you know, what his problem is, and she called him, like, a sodomite. And then, you know, he had to turn around and say, like, actually, I'm married with a wife and have children, you know, I'm just, I'm just interested in your equality and I want to help out. And then she was like, oh, you're okay, so I don't mind you. So and then she like, walked off. So <laughs> I think she, she thought, that, like, you know, <laughs> your soul is okay. 
she went off on her way. There was relentless coverage of the yes and no campaigns. There were televised debates, Pantygate and those bizarre poster campaigns. It was a really weird time for everyone. But for gay people, it felt relentless. Because just being a gay person, going about your business in the world, became enough to trigger a conversation. And even if it was overwhelmingly supportive, it felt like you were being constantly reminded you're different. And whether you liked it or not, you began to feel like a victim. What annoyed me most was it felt so civilised. Where was the strength and the guts gone? Things like Stonewall, David Norris suing the state, the things that made you clench your fist. It felt like all we had left was to politely disagree. And it made me really respect the people that were actually taking part in the debates. I don't know where they got their composure from. But there was a choice. You could accept this pseudo-victimhood or you could get involved. But for most people, the prospect of canvassing was legitimately terrifying. The first time a poster went up outside my apartment, I went into Yes Equality to make a donation. And I felt like I was actually going mad. I felt like, here's money, fix it. You know, like the gym. The lady was really nice. I ranted that I was taking that poster down and she lambasted me. And she was right to. Because it was a democracy and that was their argument. And in order for things to get better for gay people, they had to get worse. And I completely understood it, but it didn't make me feel any better. It was open season on gay people. People could just say whatever they wanted and gay people had to accept it as the campaign of the other side. The bigots were one thing, but I found it harder to listen to people who would respond as if you were suggesting we put Wi-Fi in churches. Gay marriage? Oh no, no. That's just silly. When you're angry, the idea of going up to people on the street to say, Hi, I'm gay. Can we count on your support on the 22nd? It doesn't feel possible. It feels like the worst kind of groveling. What I wanted to say was, you're undecided? Well, fuck you. What the hell was going on? I didn't do anything but stew in my own fury until about April. But thankfully, there were people who were able to get over themselves. People who got involved early. Like Darren. Literally knocking on somebody's door and saying, hey, vote for me. Um, yeah, it was. It was really personal. Um, I was really nervous before we even started because I went to a meeting in Limerick uh, when Yes Equality Limerick were setting up. And I remember thinking, oh, I'll have to join this because like, there probably won't be like a yes group in Clare. So I really, in a way, underestimated like how many other people like were really passionate about this as well. Um, so, yeah, like, I think there was so many like groups around the place um, and there was so many people out canvassing with us. So that really helped. There was like, a real sense of like camaraderie. But uh, yeah, it did, it did get easier going canvassing and going door to door. I did some street canvassing with my boyfriend and our friends. At the time, one of our group, let's call him Brian, had other concerns. He's a teacher in an inner city Catholic school. And just a sidebar, for international listeners who are wondering why, most of the schools in Ireland are run by religious orders. I know, you're probably still asking, why? But at the time, the religious ethos of schools was prioritised over the workplace protection of teachers. His job could potentially have been at risk if he had been seen canvassing. Gay teachers were only protected by legislation in December 2015, six months after the marriage referendum. Our group was all adults in our 30s. Brian is a secondary school teacher and I'm a comedian. And in both of those professions, you get used to having to take a bit of flack, but it was hard going. I remember at one point, a flower seller asked us to help her put up her canopy because it was starting to rain. She said, in return, she would vote for the sticky bandits. That was a new one for me. 
We just rolled our eyes and helped her. Halfway through, I asked if she was registered to vote and she said, What? No. We put her canopy up anyway, because it probably wouldn't have helped our cause to just beat her to death with one of the bars. Then we went for a cappuccino. How did you deal with that negativity? Did you expect it, for a start? Um, I did, I did expect it, but I didn't expect it to like affect me as much as it did. Um, I found it a lot harder. It kind of stirred up like a few maybe older issues that were there, you know. I think for a lot of people, it was that, you know, I think gay people, and especially like you know, young gay Irish people, they do you know, have a harder time growing up naturally. So then to put yourself, you know, in the front line, you know, that that is like your vulnerable place for people. But uh, yeah, no, I think it just, you just kind of got used to it. But also, you know, at the end of the day, you had, you knew that you were right and you knew that what you were saying was the truth. And, you know, when you did encounter people like, you know, either like no canvassers or people that were voting no, like the majority, the majority of the time, they were just simply like, you know, confused on the issue. Yeah. Uh, um, and it, that was frustrating, you know, trying to, you know, tell people, you know, with the actual facts, not like, you know, the misinformation or like the red herrings they'd heard, you know, either on like the radio or on debates or stuff. So that that part became frustrating, but no overall I think you just kind of you just you just go to the next house. You do. Yeah, the red herrings, and there were many. There were the gay people that didn't want gay marriage, don't even get me started. Then there was surrogacy. There were posters with a photo of a little girl that said, Surrogacy? Question mark. She needs her mother for life, not just for nine months. Vote no. Firstly, very few people have their mother for their whole life. So even if this was on message, this would be a pretty stupid statement. I had a moment in a taxi as the debate raged on on the radio and the taxi driver got really, really annoyed. At first I thought, oh, here we go again. There's going to be a row and I'm going to have to get out of this bloody taxi. And then he started to choke up. And it turns out his wife was doing surrogacy for her sister. He said they need to be very careful about what they're saying because there are real people getting hurt. We didn't get into the referendum at all, but when I got out of the taxi, there was a vote yes sticker on the back of his car. I think my forecast was the no side would play, to some extent, a cleaner game than they actually ended up doing. And uh, in my opinion, I think it did get somewhat clouded in terms of uh, the message that was being sent out by the no campaign. I think gay people who possibly weren't as engaged at the start certainly had to get engaged very quickly when they realised the messaging that was being put out by the no side in terms of things like surrogacy issues and child issues. I think a lot of people weren't really expecting that to be thrown in to the extent that it was. So in order to try and face that head on, they had to get to grips very quickly um, with more substantial parts of their argument and their rationale for pushing a yes vote. Looking back, I think my favourite moment was when the family from a stock photo image used in a no campaign poster made a statement to say they were actually in the yes camp. To them, yes, meant nothing to them. I had this is Gordon no talking about life. watching the debate from Qatar. Are sitting there arguing against why I should not be equal. So that's you know, that's I don't know. I still even just talking about it now. I'm getting angry. Again. I know. Yeah, I can see, actually see. <laughs> for the first part of 2015, Gordon was working for Al Jazeera in Qatar, and he wasn't able to get home for the referendum. So all he got to see was coverage of it online. 
you know, you're, you're seeing it, I suppose, as an outsider. What Was that very difficult? It was really difficult. Really difficult. I struggled, to be honest, um, knowing that it wasn't going to be in Ireland. Uh, because of work commitments, I couldn't come home. I, like, I'm living in a hotel at the minute. So I'd be sitting in my hotel room, looking at these debates, reading about everything. It was really, I felt very removed from something that was really personal to me. To be, especially in a country where I am now, where there's no recognition for gay people. There's no gay rights, there's no gay marriage. Gay in Qatar is, it's not, it's like a Western problem. You know, they don't even recognize it. So being somewhere where being gay is not allowed, and punishable by death, but, and then knowing that everyone in Ireland is fighting for that struggle, and all of my friends were actively out campaigning and canvassing, knocking on doors. It was there was times I really struggled with it because I felt like I should have been at home doing more, and I suppose that's probably part of the reason as well why I wrote that piece on Facebook was because I felt like that was my piece. You know, that's what I was doing to kind of help. The street canvassing reminds me of the Edinburgh Festival, where you're out trying to push your show on people that really just want to walk by. But I found it was very hard to call, because sometimes you could pick like an elderly couple and go, well, these are probably no voters. And then it's, yeah, of course. And then you had some 19-year-old go, no, marriage is for us. And you kind of... Yeah. <laughs> like, did you find it difficult to call well, just from people's yeah, parents? Ab- absolutely. I really did. And I had to, like, you know, it was funny when um, we were talking about, like, equality. I had to, like, check my own prejudices, you know. If I saw, like, an older man, I'd be like, well, he's definitely an old voter. I shouldn't bother. And then, you know, like, something, you know, they definitely, like, so I was surprised by, like, a lot of people. Um, my first day canvassing was a street canvas on Shop Street. But, yeah, the very first woman that came up to us, well, the person, you know, we were just setting up, we are having a little debrief. And it was an old woman, she must have been like, you know, I'd say late 70s, 80s. She was like pulling her trolley behind her. And she said, you know, I'm definitely voting yes. And she asked for a badge. So that was like the very first person I ever canvassed. So yeah, no, it taught me a good bit, you know, how not to judge people straight off. Or, you know, you can't really judge anyone by appearance. Big business got involved, multinationals including Google and Twitter backed a yes vote and were heavily criticised by those in the no camp. What effect do you think that had? Or did it have an effect? Was it just, you know, everyone expects a young company to throw their weight behind something that's popular with young people? I think there's a misconception out there and it was put out by some people who were voting no was that, you know, the power of the multinationals uh, were coming in and getting involved in a conversation that really had nothing to do with them. But the reality is, if you listen to the messages that these organisations put out day to day, it's they they kind of thrive in an environment where innovation and diversity is, you know, com- commercially advantageous to them. And um, they have, they've been advocating um, diversity and equality across their organisations for decades. Um, so I wasn't at all surprised to see um, them being focused in on more and more. I mean, it, the reality of it is they need as many kind of diverse people working in their organisations as possible. Um, and in order for them to justify, if they're a multinational, in order for them to justify investment in Ireland, if they're competing against other parts of the US or they're competing against other parts of Europe, this does actually come into their decision. How, how attractive is the location? It, can I send you know a, a gay or lesbian member of my senior management team based in San Francisco to, to Dublin versus to London? Um, and these, these issues do actually have a significant impact. 
It went on and on. The subject was big business for news outlets, but for gay people, it was difficult to get away from it. And it also threw up other issues. Marriage had never been on the table for a lot of gay people, and now it was, sort of. So couples were having discussions like, if it comes in, are we getting married? And if we're not, why not? And what does that mean? Bisexuals were told not to muddy the water, and it felt like gay people had to make nice for six months. Throughout the campaign, it was every day listening to people um, on the no side, really questioning the fun- the role you played in society or how how valid and e- equal or not your relationship was to others. And, you know, as a, as a gay man, I live in a very normal existence day to day and I pay my taxes and I'm a good person and I'm in a strong relationship with my partner. But it kind of felt like the, the low part was, you know, people who you don't know dissecting your role in society on a day-to-day basis, which is a struggle. It was a struggle to hear at times and it was quite exhausting at times as well. Everyone had their breaking point. There were lots of Facebook rants. Gordon usually keeps things breezy on Facebook, but he was encouraged by colleagues to make his own rant public. When he did, it went viral. You know, I I never get that personal on Facebook. I, I was very hesitant after I wrote it to post it and I was like no I won't do it you know you know it's very personal and I'm talking about like when I was younger and as a teenager and the struggle and blah 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 and then I thought to myself what really made me want to send it off was I was thinking to myself if I was 16 years of age now living in Dublin listening to those no people actively campaign against all of the things I'm struggling to come to terms with as a teenager as so many teenage boys and girls are, they can't deal with their sexuality. Yeah, it's been plastered all over Ireland. No, you know, being gay is wrong. No, I did. The more and more I thought of those kids, I was thinking to myself, I have to, I have to tell people how I feel. I have to get this out. I have to let my family and friends know why it's important for them to vote yes for me. At one particular low point, I booked a gig for the night of the results. I felt we were heading for disaster and I would probably be glad of the distraction, so I just said yes. What a mistake that was. But in the run-up, it was really hard not to feel negative about the whole thing. Like, did you have a final straw moment at any point? I think on Thursday, Thursday the 21st, before the vote, um, my entire Facebook timeline was just full like absolutely full of like my lesbian and gay friends like begging and pleading you know for people just to go out and to vote yes and I just I just felt it was really degrading and like humiliating that like it got to this stage that you know we were like the whole gay community you know we're just there you know with our hands out begging you know and like begging and pleading you know just for friends and family to go vote yes you know I just yeah I was just so like I just fed up by then you know so that was hard to see. Literally every single one, like not, I just remember going to my Facebook timeline and every single one of my gay friends just like begging, proper begging, like, you know, and just saying how much it means to them. So that was very frustrating. I spoke to PJ Gallagher the week of the vote. He never lost the faith. He told me to cancel the gig, but I didn't because I'm an idiot. PJ was great. He donated money from his gigs to Yes Equality. He tweeted a lot for the Yes campaign and he offered to drive yes voters to the ballot if they couldn't get a lift. The morning of the results, he texted me at 9.38. 38 minutes in and the no-vote goose is cooked. Have a good gig. 
Before I went to the gig, I went in to do a radio panel show in News Talk. One of the guests was the Minister for Equality, who had tweeted, Equality? Fuck yeah! The morning of the result. The sun was out and Dublin City was a sea of colour. It was pretty dazzling and distracting. Sometimes the less you think about what you're saying, the more honest you are. I listened back to it today and I was really surprised to hear myself say this. You know, uh, when you're young, uh, uh, you think, you know, okay, marriage isn't going to happen, children aren't going to happen. Um, and I remember when I originally came out, the first conversation I ever had about it was with my mom, and she said, you know, uh, it's important, like being gay, can, it can be a lonely life. And she said, don't make your life lonely. Two o'clock. Good afternoon. I'm Francesca Cummin, live from the National Results Centre in Dublin Castle, where later this afternoon it will be officially declared that Ireland has, by a substantial majority, voted yes to the marriage equality referendum. The first constituent. Good evening, 6 1. In a result keenly watched around the globe, Ireland has become the first country in the world. Times have changed a bit in the past two years. There's Trump and Brexit, and it feels like the pendulum has maybe swung back a little bit. The Vice President of America is a man who believes in conversion therapy, and gay people are being rounded up and put into camps in Chechnya. A protest in Dublin at the Russian Embassy against these secret internment camps had only a fraction of the number of people show up versus the number of people who said they were going on Facebook. I've gigged all over this country, and maybe I was really, really naive to have said so many times that nobody cares if you're gay anymore. Well, what the marriage referendum taught us is that 38% of people apparently do. And we can't lose sight of that. The marriage referendum has been a big turning point. But just because you turn away from something doesn't mean it isn't there. But looking back, what I learned is, no matter how many people have your back, sometimes what you need to do is just stand up for yourself. So don't take any crap. And if you see someone getting more than their fair share, help them out. My thanks to John, Gordon and Darren. These interviews were recorded in May of 2015. John's was actually the morning after the results party. I contacted them this week to say, hey, remember that interview you did? Would you mind if I put it out two years later? And they were all really cool about it. Also, thanks to News Talk and everyone at the Headstuff Podcast Network. Music for this episode was from Kevin McLeod. Fascinated will return to normal next week with what should have been this week's episode. Sticking with the same theme, I'll be talking to the singer Shelley Wright, who in 2010, became the first big country music star to come out of the closet. Fascinated at headstuff.org if you want to get in touch and you can follow me on Twitter at Garoad Farrelly. Darren from this episode is at DarrenMcMahon54 on Twitter and Gordon has a new venture. He has recently started his own business. Container Coffee is a new spot for great coffee, gourmet sandwiches and treats and you can find them on Thomas Street in Dublin. My good friend and previous interview victim, Naomi Coleman, will be in Connolly's of Lep in Cork on the 2nd of June and Whelan's in Dublin on the 4th of June. So check that out. She is amazing. Thanks for listening. And did you have a low point? Um, I suppose... 
No, I th- th- that that was you're very measured, John. Okay. You see, that's Sorry. the thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't very see, even, yeah. very calm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was that one day I was off my nets. <laughs> this podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.